Hello and a big welcome back to the Korean Beauty Show podcast for another week. I'm your host, Lauren Lee, K-beauty expert, founder of Style Story, where you can shop, learn, and explore the world of Korean skincare at www.stylestory.com.au. And of course, your guide to what is going on here on the ground in Korea. So let us jump straight into the K-Beauty news headlines. And at the moment, we are obviously transitioning into autumn over here. So a lot of the news headlines that I was finding was all around that. Uh, In Korea at this time of the year, and also as we're transitioning from into spring and summer, there's always a lot of chat in the industry about what we call hwantolgi, or the change of season, the transition of the seasons, Uh, just because we really do have very distinct weather at lots of different times of the year here. Obviously, Korea is a country that goes from really, really hot, humid summers all the way down to you know, minus 18, 20 degrees Celsius in winter. So particularly when it comes to things like skincare and makeup, a lot of people have very different needs at the different times of the year. And the change of seasons or the transitional period is well known here for causing a lot of problems for people just because of how different the daily temperature ranges can be. So one of the first things I noticed was that people are saying that a key trend for this autumn or fall in Korea is exfoliation. So because of all of these issues that the skin goes through with the daily temperature range and the fact that that has a really big impact on the skin's balance, it can easily be broken, which makes it very sensitive to things like irritation. So a lot of the brands and the products that are coming out at the moment are talking about gentle exfoliation. Uh, So obviously we shed our skin when it loses loses moisture. Uh, And, you know, it can lose moisture a lot more quickly because of the winds that we get here in Seoul, but also Korea in general at this time of the year. If you haven't ever checked where Korea is on a map, it might surprise you to know that we're actually closer to Russia than you might realize. So a lot of the really harsh winds that we tend to get and when it gets really cold are the winds coming down from Siberia, which just sounds so out there, I know, uh, particularly coming from a Australia. Like if you'd said to me that I was going to move to a place that gets winds from Siberia, I would have thought it was like, you know, a scene out of Fiddler on the Roof or something, like just very, very out there. Uh, But we do get that and that can cause a whole lot of problems. In general, the warm days that we have here tend to be when the wind and the air is moving over from China and then when the cold days come through, it's coming through from Russia. So a lot of chatter in the headlines about products that will help uh, exfoliate skin without contributing to irritation. Some of the different forms that I saw mentioned were things like lotions, washes, toners, masks. Uh, And then we've got this product category here that trends really well and and sells a lot, which is the pads. So pads in general, I don't know that they ever translated and sold as many overseas as they did here in Korea, but people here love a pad product and there's heaps of different types. There's the bubbling types. uh, There's even some people are making hydrating style pads. There's the classic exfoliator pads that have the two different sides on them. One's a it's smoother and one is a little bit rougher. But if you walk into an online offline store here, rather, 
you'll notice that there is a whole counter or a shelf just for pad type products. So very, very popular. Uh, Some people even like to use them in the morning as their cleanser instead of using an actual cleanser. Uh, I kind of do my own version of that. When I'm not suffering from a whole lot of skin issues, oftentimes I will just use a hydrating toner on a cotton pad in the morning, and that's kind of how I remove the products from the night before. But then if I'm experiencing things like dermatitis or whatnot, I do tend to wash my face just because that I've found has helped. But removing skin in a timely manner, uh, sorry, dead skin rather, we're not just taking off everything, but removing dead skin in a timely manner is actually really good for your skin because it will actually counterintuitively maybe help keep it moisturized. It protects it and also prevents it from looking dry and congested. So a lot of talk about those kind of products. uh, And I saw a lot of mention of different types of acids. Everything from your classic AHAs and BHAs through to the PHAs, which are really trending here at the moment because of how well they are known to be suitable for sensitive skin. A lot of people suffering from a lot of skin issues at the moment still. Uh, So everyone is very, very focused on things that will calm and won't irritate the skin. Now, another really interesting headline that I came across, and there's been lots of reports and analyses done, is about the top global beauty trends. And perhaps unsurprisingly, anti-aging or aging care is the top concern for beauty consumers globally. It's a market-leading trend and there are the highest market beauty items. But what I thought was interesting is that there are some real differences in the popular items by country. So I've actually had a look at some reports and analyses, and I'll put the links for those in the show notes, that say what each country is particularly concerned about. So in China, they are really focused on this concept of early anti-aging. And because of that, Gen Z has actually emerged as one of the major buyers of things like eye care products. So they're interested in getting a handle on it, getting a head start, if you will, on anti-aging in China. Whereas in Japan, what they were talking about is that the Japanese are more interested in finding the natural balance of the skin. So skin balance is one of the key anti-aging concepts or terms over there. Uh, And they're looking to do things like ongoing management for the signs of aging while doing that, I guess, in balance with their skin's natural rhythm. So that was quite interesting, I thought. Uh, Over in the US, apparently, and you guys will probably be the best ones to tell me if this this sounds right or not. Apparently in the US, people are worried about anti-stress aging. So they're looking to recover tired skin and damage skin barriers as a result of the pandemic, but they don't want to stress their skin out while they're doing their anti-aging. Interesting fun fact is that the US listeners that we have of the podcast at the moment have now overtaken our Aussie listeners. So we have far more people in the US listening these days than in any other country. Uh, So you guys will have to tell me. I've I've had some really nice emails lately from our US listeners updating me on some of the stuff that I've been talking about in the show, which I'm finding really, really interesting. So definitely let me know your feedback. Is that, are you noticing anti-stress aging? 
Is this a trend? I'm not sure that I've seen that terminology, but perhaps they've just given a different name to, you know, this phenomenon of people using products that are designed to recover tired, damaged skin. Anyway, over in France, they are concerned classic concern, the prevention of aging. So I think that's probably more typical of, you know, many countries historically. It's like, we just don't want to age. We want to do what we can to prevent it. So it sounds like that's what's happening in France. Over in Thailand, people are concerned about slow aging. Apparently because of the weather there, obviously it's very hot and humid. People are concerned about UV damage causing aging because of the sun's rays, and also heat and sweat and the impact that that has on the skin. So sunscreen, a very big category in Thailand, as you would expect. Uh, So a little bit of a regional difference there in Southeast Asia to do with the weather. Now in Kazakhstan, which is not a country I'm very familiar with in terms of the beauty market, apparently they are particularly concerned about home care anti-aging. So they're looking for products that can be done quickly at home and things like sheet masks and hydrogel patches are really trending there. So I thought that was a very interesting analysis because it shows that even though the same kind of things can be trending in the sense that, you know, we're talking broadly about anti-aging, there are quite big differences in the focus and between the recommended products as well to achieve this broader goal of anti-aging. So that was an interesting one that I wanted to share with you just because, uh, you know, I, I think beauty is becoming more global in many uh, in many ways the fact that we have a podcast talking about korean beauty but the listeners are all or nearly all outside of korea i think is a testament to that but it's interesting to know that there are still quite big regional differences for you know all of the different countries and a lot of that will be dependent on things like weather as well now, the final one that I came across is the, uh, the, an article talking about that clean beauty search volumes are increasing. Now, obviously not a surprise. I feel like this topic gets so much airtime, the idea of clean beauty. But what I thought a little bit interesting about this one was that according to a survey of Google's latest beauty trends, a US beauty data analysis company called Spate has said that people who are searching for clean beauty, among those people, there are a number of users that are searching for really specific keywords, things like circular economy, ethical, biodegradable. So it's not just this same concept of toxin-free, chemical-free that a lot of people associate with clean beauty, but they're really talking are much more broadly things like waste management, uh, waste efficiency, upcycling, all of those kind of things, biodiversity. So I thought that was really interesting because when I hear the words clean beauty, I think, uh, you know, really long lists of ingredients that you can and can't use, uh, a lot of fear mongering about 
chemicals, you know, and um, nasties and things like that, which is not the kind of marketing that I like to see. But it looks like for a lot of consumers, what they're really talking about is much broader than that. And they're talking about the environmental impact of the beauty industry as a whole. So that was the specific part that I found interesting. They were saying also that, you know, among US and European consumers, clean beauty has a pretty long history. But Asia's preference for this has been growing rapidly. And I think that regional difference may be coming through here because when it comes to Korea in particular, clean beauty is synonymous with the EWG ratings and they are marking that on the packages specifically to appeal to people who want uh, more eco-friendly consumption. But I think a lot of the, um, you know, the packaging and maybe the biodegradable stuff and the ethical stuff gets lost in in um, in among that because it just becomes all about red light green light ingredients uh whereas you know maybe US consumers have moved not past that because i definitely think that that they, i see so much chatter about that still but that they are a little bit more broad in their focus of what it means to be truly clean so that was interesting uh and you know i guess it will be interesting to see if there continue to be these big regional differences between how people perceive what clean beauty is in places like Europe versus how people perceive it in the Asian economies uh, and markets. So we'll have to just see how it goes. But this trend will not die away anytime soon. If anything, it's going in the other direction and it's just becoming one of the main focuses here at the moment. I cannot tell you how many brands I'm seeing that are revamping their collections and, you know, stuffing vegan in there at every chance they get. All of the products are vegan, uh, you know, and I think that has got very little to do with people being vegan and much more to do with trying to appeal to this segment of the market that sees this as more eco-friendly. So there you go. That was rounding out our headlines for this week. Now, I had an interesting question come through this week that I thought I might as well share with you. So someone had been listening to the podcast episodes about Korean sunscreens that I did a little while back. And what she was wondering was, are they just not recommended? Like, is the upshot of all of that controversy and the fact that, for example, they can't be sold in Australia, does that mean that they're just not recommended? And what I would say is it's not necessarily that they aren't recommended. I think the important thing to be aware of is more that the regulations in Korea are different. So an SPF 50 plus labeled product that is sold on the Korean market, as well as things like how it is labelled are going to be different, sometimes quite different from how they are required to be labelled in other countries. So just because a product is SPF 50 plus on the Korean market does not mean that it would meet the Australian standards to be considered an SPF 50 plus. And that's where we get all of these, uh, you know, issues around advertising Korean sunscreens with the influencer laws and things like that. They cannot be advertised to you as an SPF 50 plus sunscreen, either by a brand or an influencer, because they haven't been through that testing process. So if the product is a prime sunscreen product, but it hasn't met all the requirements, you can't call it that. You can't make these claims that it will protect you from UVA or UVB damage because they are all therapeutic claims. Uh, And it's 
Similar but different in the States. In the States, the, the regime is that there is an agreed list of sunscreen ingredients that the FDA has approved. And you have to use one of them in order to be able to get your product FDA registered or listed. That's kind of how it works there. So it's not that they're not recommended, but it will be important to note that, you know, for things like waterproofing, that's not very common in Asian sunscreens. Whereas in Australia, it's kind of taken as a given because of how often we go to the beach, how often we swim. You know, a lot of people have backyard pools. Uh, Australian culture is very much a beach and an outdoors culture. People are, you know, hiking and running and doing a lot of things outside that mean that they sweat and they need a waterproof sunscreen. And these products will not be that in most cases. So if you're the kind of person that maybe has a desk job and you don't do a lot of moving around, you know, you're not a beach goer or something like that, then perhaps they'll be fine. But be aware that there is a good chance that a product labeled 50 plus as a sunscreen here in Korea is not going to be the same as an Australian 50 plus because there are actually different testing levels that they need to meet. Uh, so, you know, in the, in the US, it's the same again. I know a lot of people complain about the fact that the FDA hasn't approved any new sunscreen filters for ages and that therefore, you know, what's going on over here in, you know, Korea and Asia must be more progressive. But there are differences. It's a personal choice at the end of the day as to whether you choose to use them or not. I can tell you what I do. I use uh, Asian sunscreens on my face here in Korea, but whenever I go overseas, I always get the local ones. Uh, and that's just because I've had instances where I've been using, for an example, a Korean sunscreen on my body when I was in Italy last time, and I noticed that my sunspots came up pretty much immediately. I do not use them when I'm back in Australia. The Australian sun is really, really harsh, and I have the kind of skin type that it just freckles and burns pretty much straight away. So I prefer to use the Australian ones, uh, particularly on my body, uh, because I just I do, I do notice the difference between the two. But that's me personally. So it's a personal choice. Uh, but that's why you won't be able to find them, for example, on sale in a store in Australia. Like if you ever do see them for sale in a store, know that that is not TGA approved. You can check it really quickly. If it's an approved product in Australia, it should have something on it called an AUST-L number, A-U-S-T-L. If anyone is trying to sell you a sunscreen product, a primary sunscreen product that is designed to protect your skin from the sun and it does not have that on it, know that they are breaking the law. That is not legal in Australia. It's just a really quick and easy way to check it. That goes for online as well as offline. Uh, it goes for influencers. If they are reviewing, providing a paid testimonial for a product and it doesn't have an OSTL number, they are breaking the law. So that's, I guess, my, my wrap-up. I think it's a personal choice, uh, but that's what I do. That's what the regulations are. So I hope that that is useful. Now, let us take a look at some of the new Korean skincare products that we have just launched on the Style Story website. Now, these are actually, well, the first one is an oldie, but it's still a goodie, and it is a requested product that people were like, can you just get this in? So we've got it. It's Etude House's Moistful Collagen Cream. So this one is a really nice one to give your skin a good 
dose of hydration. It will make your skin nice and soft. uh, And that is thanks to obviously the collagen in it as well. Um, More than 65%. uh, And they've also made it, they've updated it. So this one has now a smoother, creamier texture. The packaging also does look a little bit different from what you may be used to. A really good one for oily and combination skin is what I would say. And the other one that people were asking for is Make Prem's Watery Gel Cream. And again, another good one for people that are looking to restore their skin's oil and moisture balance. It's a pH 5.5, which is always good if you're experiencing any irritation or sensitivity. Uh, and it just helps to fill up your skin with moisture. It's got a whole lot of good ingredients in there, including uh, derivatives of cactus. So cactus, obviously, one of those plants that really holds on to water. So a natural fit in a moisturizing cream. So there's two new ones on the site for you if you're looking for something for oily skin, particularly going into summer in Australia. Uh, But also there are lots of places, you know, in the States where people prefer not to use uh, products that are primarily based on hyaluronic acid. I know that that is uh, a big one for a lot of uh, US consumers if they live in a really, really dry climate. So go and check those ones out if you're after something new. Now, our testers club reviewers have been reviewing Nine Lesses products. Now, Nine Less is a new K-beauty brand that makes hair products uh, and they wanted us to send out the products to our testers. So we, of course, we were happy to comply. So we have sent out their new fill-up silk hair treatment and their intense nourishing hair essence to this round's testers. Uh, and those reviews have been filtering back in. So the first one was for their hair treatment. And this reviewer said, I use it as a conditioner. It's a nice product. If you just want to get out of the shower quickly, it can act as a conditioner, apply it on your hair ends and then blow dry. It's not greasy at all. So that's one way to use it. Thank you very much for your review. The other reviewer said it's uh, that she was using the hair essence. So what she said is, if you don't have time to go to a salon, then this will be a good product to give your hair a bit of shine and stay healthy. I use it right after the shower and right before drying my hair. It doesn't make my clothes greasy. Just two pumps is enough for all of my ends. So thanks to our Testers Club members for their reviews. Really appreciate them. And we have a new round of Testers Club launching uh, this week, guys. So make sure you get on the Star Story newsletter list if you would like to be one of our testers. Uh, this is going to be a big round, this one. So we are going to need lots and lots of testers. So make sure you're on there uh, and that you fill out your application when it gets sent around too. We would love to have you as part of the reviewing team so that you could share your honest thoughts on the products. All the feedback goes back to the brands as well. So it's a very useful process for them knowing how you you're using it, what you want from your products and how a product can be improved as well. Any of your feedback will go back to the brands that have made the products. Uh, So we've also had a review for the podcast and this one says it's more than skin routine education. Every week I look forward to plugging my headphones in at work into the show and absorb the content provided by Lauren. Like a school's day, I always have a pen and paper taking notes on her advice and product suggestions. 
questions. I love the local Korean news and daily what's on sections. It gives me an overall view on how these trends, skincare products, goes beyond that of just a simple new thing out there. The show takes time to explain these matters, pros and cons, and I'm grateful for this. That is absolutely lovely. Thank you so much for your review. Uh, If you haven't left yours, just a little reminder, you can do that in your podcast app. You can do it on our Facebook page. Uh, You can do it on Google as well. If you Google style story, there's a, a section on Google where you can even leave it. So lots of different ways for you to do that. I would love to read yours out as well. Okay. Now guys, my recommendation for the week is to make sure that you don't miss Thursday's episode because I have a really exciting one for you. I got the chance to sit down with Sarah Chung, who is a beauty industry veteran. She's been working with K-beauty brands like Amore Pacific before they even were Amore Pacific. She's been in the industry since 2003. Uh, So we sat down and had a chat and I'm going to be sharing that with you on Thursday's episode. So something a little bit different. So make sure you don't miss that one. We had a really, really interesting chat about, you know, Sarah's take on the industry, what has changed in the time since she first started working uh, with beauty brands. She was actually born here in Korea and then moved over to the States. So make sure you say stay subscribed (laughs) rather. Uh, And I cannot wait to have you to be back in your ears on Thursday. And in the meantime, I will see you on Star Story.